Thank you for listening to the S Factor podcast. This is a pre recorded show. Please, no phone calls. Cruising 92.1 is WVLT Vinyl. Serving the Delaware Valley with the best music and the best talk. Welcome to The S-Factor. Now here's your host, Chuck Shazer. Gracious. Wow. Welcome to another intriguing episode of The S-Factor. I'm your host, Chuck Shazer, and I just want to say, hey, you know what's around the corner? Valentine's Day, or as my Uncle Charlie used to say, Valentine's Day. I don't know why he said Valentine's Day, but that's okay with me. He was a cool guy. I miss him. He would have loved to have been on the S-Factor. I hope everyone is having an awesome new year. It still is a very new year, of course, even though we're in February. So I thought, what could we talk about today on the S-Factor? What can we talk about? Of course, S-Factor. What the heck does it stand for? What does it mean? Is it my last name, Shazer? No. I'm Chuck Shazer, but the S-Factor stands for science. I love science, and I am the creator of scienceanimated.net. Don't forget to check out scienceanimated.net for all things science. There you can purchase Science Animated, The Human Body, watch The Orbit Show, which is a YouTube series, and also listen to past S-Factor radio shows via the S-Factor podcast. All of this is available at scienceanimated.net. Right around the corner, we are close, closing in on Valentine's Day. And I thought to myself, what a fantastic, here's what I could do. I know what I can do for today's episode. Valentine's Day, wow, okay, well, how's that working to science? Well, I'm glad you asked. The science of love. Science of love. Why do we fall in love? What is it? You, I'm sure everyone out there that's listening to this broadcast right now knows a time or two in their life, or maybe many, where they have fallen in love. And many things happen to the human body, right? So we're getting some science in there already. It's already wiggling its way in. Or at least when you think you're in love, when you see someone that you like, right? What happens? You get, maybe you get a little sweaty. Perhaps you get sweaty palms and maybe a stutter and stammer your way to talking to that person, right? Of course, we're all very familiar with this growing up. I know it's had to have happened to you. And if it has, I want to hear from you. You can call me at Cruising92.1 at 856-696-0092 and tell me your story. I want to know what happened to you when you fell in love. And listen, maybe it wasn't love at the time. Maybe it was just an infatuation. You saw someone that caught your eye, that piqued your interest. And then suddenly your body was flooded with maybe what seemed to be at the time uncontrollable sensations, uncontrollable actions, sweating, nervousness, knees shaking. How many songs describe that? How many things in our our life today, in modern civilization, how many, you know, when you look at creative things, How many of those things, such as movies, such as books, 
such as maybe talk shows, right? Poems. We can go back to ancient times, ancient Greece, and we can see the stories about love, ancient Rome, all the mythologies, right? So much love is in the air when it comes to our creativeness, and we see that in our media. So much revolves around it. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about why it happens, you know, some of the scientific reasons for it. And of course, one of the most important, listen, one of the most, maybe the reason it happens is because we have to replicate, right? We have to, we have to find a mate and continue our species. And a lot of that can be explained through evolution, of course. And it is a very important thing that we do. But there is so much involved with it. We are very complex creatures, aren't we? Think about all the times you've been in love. Maybe things worked out. Maybe they didn't. I mean, I'm sure each person out there can write a book on what you've experienced when it comes to love. L-O-V-E, baby. That's what we're going to talk about today on The S Factor. Again, I'm Chuck Shazer. I thank you for listening. You can catch the S-Factor the first Saturday of every month right here on Cruising 92.1 WVLT. And it's always going to be an exciting show, that I can promise you. Now, the science news is brought to you by Tawny Fit. Are you ready to get into the best shape of your life? Make 2020, seize 2020 as your year to get healthy. Okay, and if you are ready, Tawny is a certified personal trainer and she can assist you in making that a reality. Text READY to 609-674-8077. Again, text READY if you're ready to make that commitment and change in your life and get healthier in the new year. Text READY to 609-674-8077. And here's some interesting things happening in the world of science. Scientists uncover new mode of evolution. Scientists have discovered a form of natural selection that doesn't rely on DNA. Evolution and natural selection take place at the level of DNA as genes mutate, and genetic traits either stick around or are lost over time. But now scientists think evolution may take place on a whole other scale. Passed down through genes. Not through genes, excuse me, but through Molecules stuck to their surfaces. These molecules, known as methanol groups, alter the structure of DNA and can turn genes on and off. The alterations are known as epigenetic modifications. Say that three times fast. Meaning they appear above or on top of the genome. Many organisms, including humans, have DNA dotted with methyl groups, but creatures like fruit flies and roundworms lost the required genes to do so over evolutionary time. Another organism, the yeast Cryptococcus, newer formins, also lost key genes sometime during the Crustaceous period about 50 to 150 million years ago, but remarkably, in its current form, the fungus still has methanol groups on its genome. Now, scientists theorize that C. neoformans was able to hang on to epigenetic edicts for tens of millions of years, thanks to a newfound mode of evolution, according to a study published January 16th in the journal Cell. Now, of course, I, I'm on social media, and I have you know all of these science updates coming to me, anything in the science news. And I saw something this week that really blew me away. 
we have, we have the closest look at our sun this week. And it looks like caramel corn, <laughs> according uh, to this one. Um, I believe it's live science. The world's largest solar telescope has revealed its first detailed image of the sun. And, and folks, if you haven't seen this, go online and look it up. It is magnificent. It, it looks like kernels of corn, or if you if you had a, a nugget of gold and you like zoomed in with a, with a, with a microscope and you're looking at it, this is what you would think it would look like. It's really breathtaking. And I think there's a GIF online where it actually shows the sun moving around. Very cool stuff. Think about how important that burning ball of fire is to us, right? That star, that burning star. It's really beautiful knowing the magnitude of, of our sun and what it means to us and to life in general. We can't live without it. And to see it up close is really, really cool. So check that out online. You can find that live science and probably CNN and Fox News and all those media outlets. I'm sure everyone covered this. So this week, the world's largest solar telescope captured its first image of the sun, the highest resolution image of our star to date. The image begins with what scientists hope will be a nearly 50-year study of the Earth's most important star. The new images reveal small magnetic structures in incredible detail. As construction on the 4-meter telescope winds down on the peak of, uh, actually on a mountain in Hawaii, the island of Maui, more of the telescope's instruments will begin to come online, increasing its ability to shed light on the active sun. The unique resolution and sensitivity allow, will allow it to pr probe the sun's magnetic field for the first time as it studies the activities that drive space weather in Earth's neighborhood. Charged particles shed from the sun can interfere with Earth's mechanical satellites, power grids, and communication infrastructure. The new telescope will also delve into one of the most counterintuitive solar mysteries. Why the sun's corona, or outer layer, is hotter than its visible surface. Think about that. First of all, the sun is millions of times larger than Earth, right? And it is incredibly, we can't even imagine how hot it is. And I think we would vaporize if we got anywhere near, I know we would, if we got near the outer edge of the sun, I think we would vaporize. So we would, it would be a long, I mean, we would never have a chance to look at this up close and personal. So this image is your best opportunity to do just that. The solar telescope is meant to operate for 44 years, which should, which should cover two of the sun's full 22-year solar cycles. Its suite of instruments will likely change over time. Other outbursts are more dramatic. Occasionally, the sun will spit out large chunks of plasma, and particles known as coronal mass ejections. Now listen to this. If you didn't know this, don't, don't panic about this, because I, I, it's just something that's good to know, what I'm about to say. It uh, doesn't mean it's going to happen you know, today, tomorrow, next week, next year. But it is good to know. When the sun does it, the sun is very active at times. And it can send large chunks of plasma out into space. Now, if it reaches Earth... Of course, they can affect satellites, power grids, with the most powerful causing blackouts. One of the best-known modern catastrophes occurred in 1989 when a geomagnetic storm hit Quebec, sparking a nine-hour blackout across the Canadian territories. Studies have set the cost of a widespread blackout from tens of billions to trillions of dollars, depending on the circumstances. 
such effects could become more severe. Our expanding dependence on technology greatly increases our vulnerability to space weather. Now, I was watching a history channel uh, the last mm, week or two, and they have a series called How, <laughs> How the Earth Will End. I think it was called Doomsday or something like that, right? And all these scenarios. So I went through them. Actually, I think I watched it on demand, and I, I chose the, the scenarios that I really wanted to know about first. So I went through them. I think the first one I watched was what if a rogue planet entered our solar system? Right? Again, I don't mean to be like doom and gloom on the science news here, but it's relative. So, you know, if a, if a body came into the solar system, a rogue planet, and was heading our way, when I watched the show, what I realized was as it would be approaching us, it would strip our atmosphere away. The gravitational pull of said body, celestial body, if it is large enough, will pull us in with its gravity. And as that's happening, the Earth would actually be elongated somewhat, like an egg, and it would start to strip away the surface of the Earth, right? Things would heat up. So, you know, it's like a big, huge catastrophe. Actually, it didn't even, by the time, before it even, you think the two bodies would collide, right? But because of the gravitational pull of, the, of said body, the Earth would be destroyed before it even would make contact with that planet. So that was the first one I watched. That made me feel good <laughs> when I watched that. And the second one I saw was about a supermassive black hole and what that would do to us. It was kind of the same thing. The only difference was that I can tell you is a singularity at the center of a black hole is so small that the Earth would be stretched. Anything that would enter it would be pulled like a strand of spaghetti, and you would enter the singularity at the subatomic level. If there's something less than subatomic, it would be that. It is, you're just, everything is stretched so small. Crazy stuff, right? So back to this solar storm, this is something that's very important. Actually, I follow Dr. Michio Kaku a lot. And of course, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And there have been scientists that have had marched to um, Washington, not marched, but they've gone to Washington and they have talked about hardening our power grid. Because if a coronal mass, mass ejection hits us directly, now we've gotten lucky. I think one passed us in 2012 by two weeks. It missed Earth's uh, position by two weeks. But think about how we rely on electricity, right? We rely on it quite heavily. Grocery stores to keep meat fresh. Hey, we, we use pumps, which require electricity, to pull the fuel out of the ground, right? So you're talking about taking our modern society, if, if one of these things hit us, and completely crippling us. It's a little alarming. It kind of makes some of the... <laughs> You know, the political stuff that's out there, kind of silly, because this means all of us. Like, no one's, no one's immune to this kind of stuff. You know, our human family, regardless of race, creed, whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, we all rely on each other. I read a book years ago by the Dalai Lama that talked about that, our dependency on each other. You think that you're someone who is uh, self-sufficient, but then you realize that, you know, even a pencil that you're holding required someone else to make that. 
So it's true. You know, we're a human family, and when, if one of these things hit, which uh, God forbid it does not, uh, it would, would send us back and it would be chaos. I don't know how long it would take them. I think around 10 years maybe to even begin to repair some of this stuff because what would happen is it would hit the satellites first, it would knock those out of commission, so now no more GPS for the airliners. Um, it, it would be a really bad thing. So when I watched that, I was like, wow, you know, it, it really opened your eyes. And to the point where I hope uh, our government officials, you know, eventually see the importance of uh, hardening our grid because, I mean, things would actually explode. <laughs> you would have a power surge that would make devices in your home pop. So it's a very, very, um, this is actually a real threat. This isn't just science fiction. This is a real threat that could potentially knock us out of our advanced civilization. We could go back to the Stone Ages. I don't know about you, but I don't really want to go hunting for my food. And when you have 330 million people in the United States of America, if everybody decided, hey, I need to hunt tomorrow, it's not even sustainable. So hopefully that doesn't happen. And you know, maybe write your uh, congressmen and senators about, eh, maybe you guys should do something about this. You know what? Uh, and if you want more information, you could always check out History Channel online and, and look for that. Look at that your stuff yourself. It's rather eye-opening. Surprisingly, warm water found on the underside of Antarctica's Doomsday Glacier. For the first time, an underwater robot visited the bottom of Antarctica's Thwaites Glacier. An underwater robot named Icefin, a NASA-funded robot submarine that has gone where no submersible has gone before. Sounds like Star Trek, doesn't it? And has gone to the underbelly of Antarctica's Doomsday Glacier and uncovered unusually warm temperatures there. Of course, this hunk of ice, officially known as the Thwaites Glacier, is the size of the UK. So it's a rather big glacier up there. It's earned its ominous nickname because of it's one of Antarctica's fastest merging glaciers. Melting, excuse me. Even though scientists were surprised to learn that waters at the ground line the region where the glacier meets the sea, or more than 3.4, excuse me, 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit above the normal freezing temperature, uh, that means that this, this melt would still go on. Warm waters in this part of the world, as remote as they may seem, should serve as a warning to us, to us all about the potential dire changes to the planet brought by climate change. And boy, isn't that another hotbed issue, politically. While the Earth is warming, that's a fact, People are wrestling with, why? Is it us? Is it the natural cycle of things? Is it a combination? Well, people can debate that, but what isn't debatable is the warming is happening, and it's something that we're going to have to react to, right? If and when this glacier melts, and of course it will eventually if things continue to rise. Now this is interesting. Listen to this. If this glacier melts in Antarctica, okay, the Thwaites Glacier, it will raise ocean levels worldwide. Worldwide. So this isn't a regional deal. It will raise levels worldwide by a foot and a half. So imagine the ocean, an ocean city, Sea Isle, Atlantic City, Raising a foot and a half. That's a lot. You know, it doesn't sound like a whole lot, but it'll change things. It's important to note that this change could take decades, but it will happen. 
if the weather continues on this path. Okay. That is enough doom and gloom. We talked about the doomsday coronal mass, injection, mass ejection. We've talked about this melting of the glacier in Antarctica. So we're going to go to a, a much more positive story here. There is a cat in Russia with four frostbitten paws. Gets a new feet made of titanium. 3D printed titanium limbs helped a frostbitten feline get back on her feet. A Russian cat, excuse me, a female cat in Russia that lost all four of her paws to frostbite can walk, run, and even climb stairs again. Thanks to the veterinarians who replaced her missing limbs with 3D printed prosthetics made from titanium. How cool is that? The hardy gray feline named Dimka, which means mist in Russia, is about four years old. A, passer, a passing driver found her in December 2018 in the snow in Siberia and brought her to a clinic. We're going to hold it off right there. Norm just alerted me that we have a phone call. Caller, welcome to the S-Factor with your host, Chuck Shazer. Welcome. Hi, this is Wes York. I'd like to bring up a question to you. Sure. Who is the biggest polluter in the world? Hmm. Well, I don't want to get on a, polit a political no, you don't path. Have to, no, you, uh, you know, you can say the profession, but you're going to be shocked when I tell you. I'm a chemist. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And, uh, who do you think the biggest polluter in the world is? Okay. So are we talking about country? Uh, whatever you want to call it, say, you can. Okay. Not necessarily countries, but just who do you think the biggest in the world is? The biggest polluter. Hmm. Well, I know since our manufacturing jobs went to China, is it in that part of the world? Nope. Okay. Mother Nature. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Stop to think. Stop to think what I'm going to say to you right now. Mm -hmm. Somewhere as we're speaking right now around the world, there's volcanoes going off. Yes, sir. Okay. And then we got all these geysers, and then they never mention it, okay? 90% of our pollution is coming from the ocean, from the methane gases coming up out of the bottom and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. What they're trying to do is just put a tax on us, okay, for whatever they can in this country. Mm -hmm. But stop to think, because I'm a Mother Nature freak, sure. okay, in plain English. <laughs> I love trees, okay? So do I. Uh, yes, sir. But the thing of it is, Mother Nature is the biggest polluter there is in the world. And... My point of it is there's no way we can do anything about it. When you stop to think, when, they, when uh, some of the uh, expeditions they had, they went back five, six, seven, eight hundred years, mm -hmm. uh, uh, 75 years after uh, A.D., right? Mm -hmm. And they found pollution and stuff in the, in the dirt and the gravel and stuff like that. We didn't have manufacturing back then. Mm -hmm. They found gases and stuff like that. Sure. That was from the methane. Mm -hmm. But nobody ever wants to bring his subject up and talk about it like that. There, oh, you know, right. how do you how do you combat that? There, you're right. Like Hawaii, mm -hmm. uh, we just came back from Hawaii like that, and the air was terrible in sections over there to breathe and stuff like oh, I'm that. Sure. Yes. And look, we're still feeling the after effects of that big uh, volcano up there in Greenland and Iceland a few years ago. Mm -hmm. That. That put everything out. So, yeah, actually, I mean, they. I that's think the worst compute uh, sure. uh, polluter in the world is Mother Nature herself. And how do you combine that bat yeah. against it? I don't know. Yeah, you're and right. Thank you. I like your show. Hey, thank you uh, very much. Okay. Oh, talk thanks to you for later. the call. Hey, I appreciate the call very much. 
he raises a very interesting point. And you know, I never take anything off the table. I'm not, you know, I'm not about to choose any kind of side here. You know, I, I let the science speak for itself. And, you know, it's such a hot button issue. And I, I really want to thank that caller for an awesome call. Uh, he was a chemist. That's exactly what we want calling in here. And we want a gentleman like that calling in that have that experience that is absolutely fantastic. Of course, you don't have to be a chemist to call in. You can call me at the S Factor here at 856 696 Want to hear what we have to say about any of this stuff. If I'm reading the news here, the science news, and you want to interject like that gentleman did, you are more than welcome. I want to thank that caller again. That was an awesome call. Now we'll get back to this, some a little bit more lighthearted, this cat, right? This cat in Russia that has these 3D prosthetics. So, of course, in Siberia, of course, we know it is very cold there. So she had frostbite on her paws, right? So they had to amputate those damaged extremities, the Moscow Times reported. During the punishing Siberian winters, veterinarians in Siberia typically treat at least five to seven cats due to frostbite in their paws, ears, and noses. Frostbite develops when cold temperatures freeze skin and tissue, particularly in extremities. In severe cases, the tissue dies and requires amputation. So at this clinic, they collaborated with researchers, and they created a set of prosthetics for this kitten. For this cat, rather. So the scientists developed and applied a coating made of calcium phosphate to help mount the titanium implants that were inserted and fused into her leg bones. And to minimize the risk of infection... An implant rejection, university representative said in a statement. So that's why they added the calcium phosphate to, uh, I guess, to minimize the risk of infection. So that is a really cool story. A cat with four frostbitten paws get new feet, 3D printed feet, no, no less. 3D printed technology, 3D printers. That is so cool, right? I love stories like that. We're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the science of L-O-V-E love right here on the S-Factor. I'm your host, Chuck Shazer. Thank you for listening. Celebrate and start the new year off in a new home. There are plenty of beautiful homes in the area, and interest rates are at near record lows. So now is a great time to buy. Now maybe you'd like to finally purchase that investment property you've always wanted. Or maybe you'd like to sell a home or property. Realtor Tyra Shazer can assist you in buying or selling any home or property. Contact Tyra Shazer at Remax Platinum Properties at 609-402-1992. Again, that's 609-402-1992. Or email her at tyrasdreamhomes at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Tara Shazer, and I'm ready to help you find your dream home. Tired of buying your kids the same old toys or video games? What if I told you there is an educational film that is action-packed, exciting, and family-friendly? And it costs far, far less than a trip to the movies. ScienceAnimated.net is proud to present Science Animated The Human Body. Available as a DVD or digital stream, this film will get your kids engaged and interested in learning. From all across America, parents, teachers, and homeschoolers have purchased Science Animated The Human Body. The unique mixture of action-adventure and education makes this film a must-own. It's perfect for school-aged children 8 and up, 
It combines education with entertainment as it covers the muscles, skin, and bone systems of the body. This approach makes learning fun and truly is educational entertainment. Parents nationwide have had fantastic things to say about science animated the human body. Linda Verda says, My son loved this video and wants to watch it over and over. We printed out the extra worksheets on the webpage and we're both having fun learning all the names of the bones and muscles. Highly recommended. Bobby Gannon says, Got it for my grandkids to watch while at my house. I'm going to have to get more copies to take to their homes as well. They ask for it over and over. Love it. So visit scienceanimated.net today and get free companion worksheets to go along with the movie. Science Animated The Human Body, available now at scienceanimated.net. Welcome back to the S Factor. I'm your host, Chuck Shazer. You can catch me right here on Cruise 92.1 WVLT, the first Saturday of every month at 1 o'clock. I welcome your calls at any, at any time. I start the show with science news. Of course, the S Factor, S stands for science. Start the show with the science news of the week. Go into the main topic at any time. If you have a comment and you want to call in, you can call me at 856-696-0092. I would love to hear from you, especially today, because it's all about love. Love is in the air. Valentine's Day is around the corner. I'm sure everyone out there has plans. If you have a significant other, if you have a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, partner of any kind, I'm sure you have, you've at least thought about it, right? I'm thinking about presents and I'm going to have uh, roses delivered, all those cool things. I think it's a really neat, of course, people kind of rag on it sometimes. Oh, Valentine's Day, it's just a way to get more money out of me as if I don't spend enough. It's a corporate holiday. I've heard all that stuff. (laughs) But, you know, I look at it like Father's Day, Mother's Day. It's one of those things where it isn't necessarily a bad thing that there are some time set aside to appreciate people that maybe, and you know, you're so busy with life that maybe sometimes you forget to say thank you and I love you and things like that. So I I look at the, the positive side of holidays like that. I think it's a good thing if you don't have someone when I've been there in the past. Sometimes you're just you're kind of like neutral about it. You're indifferent. You don't care. Maybe you hate it. <laughs> Whatever the case may be. But if you have someone, and, and I, I wish you uh, lots of love and excitement during this time of year. So we're going to talk about love. Now, Google has counted all of the books in the world, right? There are 129,864,880 books that have ever been written, according to Google. How many of those do you think are about love, right? I'm sure a great majority. 100 million songs have been written about love. Thousands of movies have love in the title. And the ones that don't, think about the little love stories that are within them. I was watching a TED Talk. I saw a researcher named Helen Fisher, and she said she had some interesting things to say about love. I'm going to read this to you. In the jungles of Guatemala, in Tikal, stands a temple. It was built by the grandest sun king of the greatest city-state of the greatest civilization of the Americas, the Mayans. The Mayas. His name was Jusaw Chacualuil. He stood over six feet tall. He lived into his 80s, which is very old for that time period, right? 
And he was buried beneath this monument in 720 A.D. Mayan inscriptions proclaim that he was deeply in love with his wife. So he built a temple in her honor. Okay, so this king built a temple in honor of his wife. Wow, what a romantic gesture, right? So he built the temple facing his own, and every spring and autumn, exactly at the equinox, the sun rises behind his temple and perfectly bathes her temple with his shadow. And as the sun sets behind her temple in the afternoon, it perfectly bathes his temple with her shadow. After 1,300 years, these two lovers still touch and kiss from their tomb. Around the world, people love. They sing for love. They dance for love. They compose poems and stories about love. They tell myths and legends about love. They pine for love. They live for love. They kill for love. And they die for love. As Walt Whitman once said, Oh, I would stake all for you. Anthropologists have found evidence of romantic love in 170 societies. They've never found a society that did not have it. Imagine, listen, think about that. They have not found a society that that did not have love. Display of love. So think about how you felt. Think about those emotions you felt when you loved someone, or maybe you thought you loved them, or you weren't sure, but you got excited. And you were nervous. Your knees were shaking. I want to hear from you. You got stories like that? It's a fun show to talk about that. How did you meet the person you're with right now? How did you feel when you met them? Now, what, here's what I want to ask everyone out there. What crazy things did you do when you were in love, right? Listen, we've all been there. In hindsight, you look back at it and you say, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. What was I thinking? And if you don't want to give your, your real name, because you, if you're embarrassed over something like that, or maybe think, oh, someone will know. Someone will know uh, it's me. I'm from Vineland. They're going to know it's me if I say something. Give me a fake name. You can call me at 856-696-0092. Tell me your love story. Tell me one of your love stories. Tell me something you did that was kind of embarrassing. You look back and you're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. I was in love. That explains it. I want to hear from you. Then we're going to talk about love here, the science of it, right? Psychology Today has this to say about love. Falling in love can hit you hard in mind and body. You feel irresistibly attracted to your crush. If things continue, you may feel a rush of euphoria, a longing to be together, passion and excitement. You feel like you've found the most special, unique person in the world. Fast forward a few years and the excitement has likely gone down, except for a few lucky couples. But though the novelty may wear off, if all goes well, it has been replaced by a warm, comforting, nurturing type of feeling. You feel bonded in body, mind, and spirit. You share your hopes and dreams and work hard together to make them come true. That's a beautiful thing. Each stage in this cycle can actually be explained by your brain chemistry. The neurotransmitters that get you revved up and hormones that carry the feeling throughout your body. That is what we have all felt at times, right? According to anthropology professor Helen Fisher, there are three stages of falling in love. Each stage, a different set of brain chemicals run the show. These stages are lust, attraction, and love. First, that you feel lust. 
When you're in a stage of lust, you feel physically attracted and drawn to the object of your affection. You want to seduce them or be seduced. There may be an element of mystery or an intensity that makes things exciting. Lust is driven primarily by the hormones, testosterone in men and estrogen in women. Lust occurs across species and may be part of the basic drive to find a partner to spread our genes with. Again, evolution comes into the mix here. Or as Professor Youngman said to me in college, he said, you know, you guys, he stood in front of the class and he said, you guys out there, you all share something. You all have something in common. You know what that is? It's called the slime gene, right? You guys want to go with everything out there, right? And he said, well, that's evolution, right? You want to spread your genes out there. That's kind of like hardwired in us. Now, there's something that you can do about that. You can tell the slime gene to go to, you know where, I'm not going to say it on the radio, but you know the word I'm thinking about. You can tell them to go to, so that's what he said to us. And he was right about that, of course. If you were faithful to your partner, you were telling that slime gene to go somewhere. And that's a great thing. So, of course, you start off with that lust. Okay. Now, it occurs across all species, as we've said. But lust is different than love. Injecting men with testosterone makes them desire a potential lover more, but not necessarily fall in love in any lasting way. Step two, attraction. In the second stage, you begin to obsess about your lover and crave their presence. Your heart races and you don't feel like sleeping or eating. You may get sweaty palms. You feel a surge of extra energy and excitement as you fantasize about the things you'll do together. These feelings are created by three chemicals, okay? You have dopamine. You have serotonin. No repithine. These are three chemicals that are responsible for this, right? Dopamine. Increased dopamine is associated with motivation, reward, and goal-directed behavior, hence the drive to pursue your loved one or create them in fantasy if you can't be with them. Dopamine also creates a sense of novelty. Your loved one seems exciting, special, and unique to you. You want to tell the world about his or her, her special qualities, the reprofrene is responsible for an extra surge of energy and a racing heart that you feel, as well as a loss of, in some cases, both of both your appetite and your desire to sleep. It puts your body in a more alert state in which you're ready for action. And of course, last but not least, serotonin. Scientists think serotonin probably decreases at this stage but more studies need to be done. Low levels of serotonin are found in obsessive-compulsive disorder and are thought to cause obsessive thinking. In one Italian study of 60 students, those who were recently in love and those with OCD both had less serotonin transporter protein in their blood than regular. Recently, not recently in love students. And then we have attachment. Attachment involves wanting to make a more lasting commitment to your loved one. This is the point at which you may move in together, get married, or have children. After about four years in a relationship, dopamine decreases. 
and attraction goes down. If things are going well, it is replaced by a hormone, oxytocin, and vasopressin, which create the desire to bond. Affiliate with and nurture your partner. You want to cuddle and be close and share your deepest secrets with him or her. Plan and you plan and dream together about your future, right? Oxytocin is a hormone released during orgasm as well as childbirth and breastfeeding. Okay. But there's a dark side to this as well. See, it seems to play a role in needy, clinging behavior and jealousy. Ooh. Vasopressin, scientists learned about the role of this in attachment by studying the prairie vole, a small creature <laughs> that forms monogamous bonds like humans do. When male prairie voles, I hope I'm saying that correctly, were given a drug that suppresses vasopressin, they began neglecting their partners and not fighting off other male voles who wanted to mate with her. So, what can we do? Understanding the science of lust, attraction, and attachment can help you develop more realistic expectations of your relationships. Now we're going to talk about some tools to guide you through the stages of love. Oh my goodness. You know, I was telling some guys at work this week about this week's show, The S Factor. And I told them we're going to be speaking about the science of love. And that's what we're talking about today. Now, when I was growing up, a uh, you know, big pro wrestling fan, and there was a character called Brother Love who painted his face a bright red. He had these big glasses on, and he said, I love you. He said, he's always say that. So, of course, in the office to, uh, this week, we're talking about the science of love. Of course, the Brother Love, uh, I love you saying had to be... Uh, thrown around. <laughs> we had a lot of fun with that. But it's true, you know, love, and love is so ingrained on us, isn't it? Of course. In all media. Think about when you're at the grocery store, right? And you're looking at magazines. How many magazines talk about, you know, this celebrity is out of love with this celebrity, and that celebrity is in love with this new one, and these co-stars got together, they fell in love on the set. How many of those magazines do you see out there? Quite a few, right? Incredible. That's all out there. We are obsessed with love. The very we want to see. Actually, look at the Hallmark Channel. My wife loves the Hallmark Channel. How many? That's all love all the time. It should be called the Love Channel because that's all. It seems like they're the only stories that they show, right? But I think when a person hears about a love story gone well. You know, two people getting together, even though science tells us why, we know through evolutionary terms why that happens. However, I still think as a human, when you're experiencing that, don't you feel good? Don't you feel good knowing that other people are experiencing that as well, and they have families, and they promote love? Hey, listen, there's a lot of hate out there, right, guys? guys and gals out there. There's a lot of hate out there in general. You know, if you look at social media and some of the mean things people say to each other. So I think us, uh, us being human and having this is a good thing. I think it's a very good thing. You know, there's lots of love out there and there's, there's a lot of love that creates 
positive experiences for people, take care of each other and things of that sort. So it is a great, great quality that we have as homo sapiens, right? And again, if you were out there dating at some point in your life, let's say you did online dating, that's a huge thing, right? If you ever did that and you met someone and you fell in love and you got married, I want to hear from you. If you were dating someone and you did some stuff maybe that they wanted you to do that you look back and you said, oh, I can't believe I did that. I want to hear your story. Now we know why these things happen in the brain. But I'm interested in your story if you're out there. If you're listening to me, if you're listening to the S Factor right now and you're driving around or you're on Facebook watching the live stream and you want to call and you want to share, you don't have to give me your real name. I want to hear your story though. Call me at Cruise 92.1 WVLT at 856-696-0092. If you have a great story to share, if you have a somewhat crazy story to share, I want to know what that story is, and I want to hear from you. Now, what can you do about love, right? Now, number one, don't mistake lust for love. Give a new relationship time before you start dreaming of future together. Number two, keep the dopamine flowing in a long-term relationship. You can do this by having date nights. That's a great thing to do. Taking lessons, not sure what they mean about that. Or going on trips in which you do novel and exciting things together. Perhaps you go hiking in Costa Rica, climb a, uh, climb a rock, climbing wall, or go see a thrilling movie. Keep the oxytocin flowing with second sex and intimacy. Write cards and notes. Hug and kiss. Think of your partner when she's not around. Share your hopes and dreams and support those of your partner. That's a very important one. If you're with someone, you want to support whatever they're into. I think uh, doing that just will bring you together. You know, you have that, if you have a goal of whatever, whatever, however grandiose the goal may be, support your partner. They'll appreciate that. And it will bring you closer together. And also, number four here, maintain some independence. Right? If you're jealous, the controlling type, start developing your own activities and friendships that make you feel important and cared about. That is a very important thing to do as well. You know, have your own, you know, give it, listen, they, there's an old saying that says, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And there's truth to that, for sure. You know, in the beginning, listen, in the beginning, when these chemicals are going on in your brain, you want to be around your, that person that you are into. You want to be around them all the time. And that's normal as we have learned here today. But after a little bit, you might want to go into the direction of, okay, I have this great relationship. I have these hopes and dreams. I want to go into that direction. Of course, I think it's important to always maintain your relationship with who you're with as you're doing those things, you know, don't completely abandon them. You know, and you can have your independence, but don't forget about them either. I think it's also important. There's one thing we haven't touched upon. Pheromones. Hmm, we're going to find out about pheromones. 
We're going to come back from a another little break, Norm, and then we're going to come back and talk about these pheromones. What are they? How do they affect us if we're in love? You're listening to The S Factor with your host, Chuck Shazer. I'll be right back. Celebrate and start the new year off in a new home. There are plenty of beautiful homes in the area, and interest rates are at near record lows. So now is a great time to buy. Now maybe you'd like to finally purchase that investment property you've always wanted. Or maybe you'd like to sell a home or property. Realtor Tyra Shazer can assist you in buying or selling any home or property. Contact Tyra Shazer at REMAX Platinum Properties at 609-402-1992. Again, that's 609-402-1992. Or email her at tarasdreamhomes at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Tara Shazer, and I'm ready to help you find your dream home. Tired of buying your kids the same old toys or video games? What if I told you there's an educational film that is action-packed, exciting, and family-friendly? And it costs far, far less than a trip to the movies. ScienceAnimated.net is proud to present Science Animated The Human Body. Available as a DVD or digital stream, this film will get your kids engaged and interested in learning. From all across America, parents, teachers, and homeschoolers have purchased Science Animated The Human Body. The unique mixture of action-adventure and education makes this film a must-own. It's perfect for school-aged children, 8 and up. It combines education with entertainment as it covers the muscles, skin, and bone systems of the body. This approach makes learning fun and truly is educational entertainment. Parents nationwide have had fantastic things to say about Science Animated The Human Body. Linda Virtus says, My son loved this video and wants to watch it over and over. We printed out the extra worksheets on the webpage and we're both having fun learning all the names of the bones and muscles. Highly recommended. Bobby Gannon says, Got it for my grandkids to watch while at my house. I'm going to have to get more copies to take to their homes as well. They ask for it over and over. Love it. So visit scienceanimated.net today and get free companion worksheets to go along with the movie. Science Animated The Human Body, available now at scienceanimated.net. Thanks, Norm. Welcome back to The S Factor. I'm your host, Chuck Shazer. Listen, this show is all about science. It's called The S Factor. S stands for science. You can catch me here the first Saturday of every month on Cruising 92.1 WVLT at 1 o'clock. And the topics will vary. I think my first episode was on, I know what it was on. It was on transhumanism. That was a great show. We talked about the science of fitness in January. And here we are talking about the science of love. Of course, so close to Valentine's Day. How perfect. Right? We talked about the chemicals in the brain that take place, that give you these feelings with the dopamine and the serotonin, right? That's all chemistry, folks, right? We had a chemist call in. That was a cool call. And that's what all of this is. That's what we are, right? We're biological creatures. We have the we can explain why how these things happen. What part of the brain we can do MRIs and see what part of the brains light up when we're in love. Actually, there was a, I don't know if they're doing this yet, but years ago I read that they were, you know, how you have the, uh, you have the lie detector test, right? 
And they say that you can beat that by, I think I heard something like you can put a tack in your shoe or something like that and beat a lie detector. But I remember, actually, again, I think it was when I was in college in my psychology class, we talked about MRIs being used as lie detectors because when you make up a story, when a person lies, there's a specific region of the brain that lights up. Actually, it lights up in general more because you see blood flowing to specific parts of the brain because they're coming up with the lie. (laughs) So that's a really like a completely foolproof, unless the person was delusional, I guess you could fake it, but that would be a really incredible way to, to test someone, see if they're lying or not, right? Wow. Again, if you want to call me, it's 856-696-0092. Don't be shy. I know you have love stories out there. I know you have things to share, things you've been through. We have a little bit of time left. You can do that. So, love might be in the air on Valentine's Day, metaphorically speaking, but scientists have long debated whether love, or at least sexual attraction, is literally in the air in the form of chemicals called pheromones. Creatures from mice to moths send out these chemical signals to entice mates. And if advertisements about pheromone-laden fragrances are to be believed, one might conclude that humans also exchange molecular cum-hinters. Still, after decades of research, the story in humans is not quite so clear. Rather than posting or positioning that single pheromone-esque compound, Strykus like Cupid's arrow, investigators now suggest that a suite of chemicals emitted from our bodies subliminally sway potential partnerings. Smell, it seems, plays an important, underappreciated role in romance and other human affairs. We just started to understand that there's communication below the level of consciousness. Says Betta Pauls, psychologist at Heron Heen University. If you're at a point in your life and, and you, let's say, let's say you found your mate and you smelled uh, melting chocolate, right? Every time you smell melting chocolate, you're going to think about that moment when you found the person that you're with now or the person that you were with back then. So the olfactory system in the human body, your smell, the way you smell, that function, that sense, is incredibly accurate when it comes to memory recall. That is an intriguing science altogether, right? Think about that. It's like, oh, you know, every time I... Every time I smell cigarette smoke, I think of my uncle, you know. Every time I, you know, smell a certain dish, I think of my mom. I think of mama. She used to cook that all the time. You know, maybe her grandmother. So the olfactory function is very important to us humans. But there isn't really... The jury's still out when it comes to pheromones. We don't know... We don't quite know. There's a, the data isn't there yet, to be honest with you. It's kind of the research is kind of ongoing. Now, Norm told me I have a minute left. I just want to thank everybody who has listened to the S Factor today. Again, you can catch me here right on Cruising 92.1 WVLT the first Saturday of every month at 1 o'clock. It has been a pleasure to talk about the science of love. Next month, I'll bring another topic on board. And don't forget to visit scienceanimated.net. It's everything science there. 
I have a YouTube series called The Orbit Show. It's a really cool free series to check out. Also, you can purchase Science Animated The Human Body, which is an animation for kids eating up. It's a DVD, or you can stream that from the website. Again, I want to thank everybody for joining me today. It has been an awesome talk about the science of love. I will see you next month right here on Cruise 92.1, where we will continue the discussion of science and what it means to our daily life, how it affects us. This has been Chuck Chaser. You have been listening to The S Factor on Cruise 92.1 WVLT. You have been listening to The S Factor, brought to you by ScienceAnimated.net on Cruise 92.1 WVLT. WVLT Vineland. Cruising 92.1.